move in that way. Well, we are in week three of a series that we're calling uh, RTL Vibes. We're really unpacking our core values. We have six core values as a church. And what's important when it comes to understanding core values and the role that they play in our lives, core values are those very things that really help shape, if you will, our beliefs, uh, what we uh, stand for, what, what is important to us. It might be a set of convictions that uh, really determine how we live out our lives. It really values is what drives our decisions. And so it's like the old saying, somebody, somebody who doesn't stand for something will typically fall for anything. So your values are the very foundation, those things that um, really set you apart. Sometimes they're the intangibles that you may not even know how to articulate, but yet because of the way that you live your life, it really does set you apart from the norm in terms of the rest of how culture seems to operate. And so when it comes to understanding values, we like to call it our vibe, what we want to be known for, I think it's important that you not only identify your own core values, but I think it's important when it comes to our church that we understand these are our intangibles. These are the things that are important to us. These are those non-negotiables, if you will, that we pray that God will use to set us apart. So week one, we talked about our first core value, and we like to say it this way, honor is our calling. Last week, we talked about generosity. We like to say it this way, generosity is our way. And today, I'm going to unpack the third of six core values, and we like to say it this way. Ready for this? It is love for God is our passion. Let's all say that out loud together. Love for God is our passion. You see, passion is something that should drive all of us. Yesterday marked the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 uh, when they landed on the moon. And it was an amazing, incredible uh, milestone of accomplishment in our country when uh, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong stepped out of that, um, you know, of, of that capsule, if you will, and literally set foot on the moon. You know, they did what everyone basically said could not be done. And yet here we are today, you know, celebrating and remembering the amazing accomplishment. I think sometimes what we fail to remember and understand is what took place behind the scenes. Sometimes we fail to understand that, yeah, it was a group of people, but specifically a group of passionate people, engineers and scientists who were determined to put man on the moon. And when you think about all great things that actually get done, that get accomplished in life, are driven by somebody who is driven with a sense of passion and destiny. As a matter of fact, all driving, all the driving force behind all great music and literature and art, it's all driven with a sense of passion. Passion is what drives scientists to discover new cures for dreaded diseases. It's what challenges and drives athletes to break world records. You see, passion is something that's incredibly important, not just to life, but especially when it comes to our relationship with God. I like to say it this way. Your purpose is what really guides you in life, but your passion is what drives you. So your purpose is what guides you, but your passion is what drives you. And so the question is, 
What about you? In your own personal life, are you driven? When you wake up every day, are you driven with a sense of passion? Is there a sense of destiny that you know that you were placed on this earth to fulfill? Because you see, when you have that clarity and know what your destiny is, you wake up fueled with a sense of passion to fulfill that destiny each and every day. Jesus said it like this. He said, I've come that you may have life and experience it to the full. The problem is, is that a lot of us are not experiencing the fullness of what God wants us to live out. And I think there's some reasons for that. We're going to unpack that today. And so in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 10, excuse me, Mark chapter 12, looking at verse 30, Jesus was one day being questioned by a group of religious scholars. They were uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. In fact, there was a, there was a very, um, uh, in many ways, a profound teacher that was a part of the crowd, the audience that day. He was a religious scholar of the, of the, of the law, and he asked Jesus a question. They had been trying to stump Jesus. They had been trying to ask specific questions to really try to trap, if you will, Jesus, to get Jesus to contradict himself or contradict the, the Old Testament law. And so this young religious scholar, a teacher of the law, asked Jesus the question. He said, Jesus, what would you consider to be the most important commandment in all of Scripture? Well, Jesus, without batting an eye, made this statement. He said, the most important of all the commandments is this. He said, you are to love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with all the thought that is within you, and with all the strength that is the great, this is the, the, supreme, the great and supreme commandment. So what Jesus was essence, what he was saying was this. Hey, if you really want to know the Bible from from cover to cover, and really what it's all about. It can be summarized in two things. One is to love God with all of your passion, listen, all of your energy, all of your intellect, listen, with all of your physical strength, to love God with everything you've got. And then secondly is to love people as much as you love yourself. In essence, Jesus is saying, hey, be as, as preoccupied with God and with other people as you are yourself. Love God, love people. That, at the end of the day, is what Christianity is all about. Jesus, in essence, was saying, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you just better know up front, Christianity is not for wimps. Jesus was not looking for a group of sissies to, to come out of the crowd and follow him. No, he was going to separate his followers from the fans because he understood, no, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. But also that invitation to follow him was driven by a relationship. And that relationship between Jesus and his followers, between Jesus and the love that he had for his own heavenly father, was a burning passion. So everybody in this room, I think, needs to evaluate where you are when it comes to your passion in your own personal relationship with God. And here's what the Bible says. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, verse 11. He said, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward Him, notice, boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill you with excitement as you serve Him. 
We ought to put that on the dashboard of our car, on the mirror in our bathroom to serve as a constant reminder that God wants us to be enthusiastic about Him. God wants us to be passionate, to be boiling hot. He wants the fire to be burning in our hearts. I like to say it this way. Hey, if you're, listen, if, if you're, if, if, if for whatever reason you find yourself in your own spiritual journey, in other words, if you are not on fire, spiritually speaking, then it might mean that, as the old preacher says, your wood has gotten wet. So the question is, do you have this burning passion? Is the fire that you have boiling white hot for God? Because if it's not, it could be that there are some passion killers that have come along that have kind of snuffed out, if you will, the spiritual flame in your heart. I like to call it this, this way. I like to say it this way. Maybe there's some enthusiasm spasms that's got a little spiritual cramp. And as a result, maybe you're limping along spiritually and you're not where you could be and you should be. And the reason why is because there's some passion killers that has come along and has robbed you from the very fire and passion that God wants you to have. So I'm a list guy. I love lists. And every day when I wake up, first thing I do um, is I make a list of all the things that I need to get done that specific day. And so I have my time with the Lord. I have my pen. I have my little pad that I write notes on. And I put my list on. And then out of the list of all the to-dos, there's always three things that are my top priorities. And the day has not been complete unless I accomplish those three things. This is the way I'm wired. So I'm a list guy. I love lists. As a matter of fact, uh, people who are around me on a consistent basis will tell me that I'm a list guy because I leave my list everywhere too. So I have a little, usually a little trail of lists that I just kind of leave behind. But I live and die by those lists. And so today I'm going to give you a list. In fact, they're outlined in our app. And so I've uh, done all the work for you. You can just follow along there. But if you don't have our app, you can jot down these lists of what I call passion killers. So I'm going to give you seven passion killers. These are, this is what I have found in my own spiritual journey to come along in my life from time to time. And they'll, they'll, if we're not careful, they'll come into our lives in such a way to where they rob us from our passion. And sometimes it's subtle. It's, it's a drift. And so here's what you can do is you can ask yourself these seven questions, kind of going through the passion killer checklist. Number one is this. The first passion killer is an unclear purpose. I don't, I don't think there's anything more important than having a very clear purpose in life. Isaiah 49 verse 4 says it this way. But my work seems useless and I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Have you ever found yourself getting up each and every day and it's kind of the same old, same old, same routine, same mundane approach to your everyday life. And at the end of it all, you kind of ask yourself the question, for what? You know, what have I accomplished? To what purpose has my life actually been fulfilling something that truly matters? And I think the problem is, is that if we're not careful, if we live each and every day with this hum-ho kind of mundane approach to life with no clear sense of purpose, 
then yeah, life gets really boring fast. And so I think it's important that we realize when it comes to having an unclear purpose, one of the reasons why we have an unclear purpose is because we have an unclear vision for our lives. I see this happen all the time in, in, in people's lives, and this happened in my life. I call them vision vandals. You know, people that come along and try to steal your vision or try to pour cold water on your vision. But at the end of the day, we've got to have a vision. We've got to have a vision for our life. You've got to have a vision for your marriage. You've got to have a vision for your family. I like to say it this way. Listen, everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Every marriage ends up somewhere, but few marriages end up somewhere on purpose purpose. Every family ends up somewhere, but few families end up somewhere on purpose. Without a clear purpose, your life will drift every, every single time. And so we have to understand where there is no vision, people what? People perish. Our visions die. And so having a clear vision will give you passion, will give you motivation, will give you direction, but having a clear vision will give you purpose. So it's important that we understand that having a clear vision for your life will help give your purpose life. It gives a sense of destiny. You see, your purpose is what guides you, but your passion is what drives you. So number two, the second point on the checklist is this. The first is an unclear purpose. Number two is unused talent. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17 says, May all believers continue to live the wonderful lives God has called them to live according to what he assigns for each person. You know, 70% of all Americans admit that they are in the wrong job. In other words, they're a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And no wonder they're unfulfilled. A lot of the reason why is because they're doing things simply because they're not even shaped or wired with the natural abilities or talents, maybe in a way that God has uniquely designed them to actually operate. In other words, there is a divine design that we all have. It's the reason why we have what we call growth track. Growth track, if anything, is a place where we can come together and understand our divine design. It's a place for us to learn a lot about our personality, to learn a lot about our gifts, to learn a lot about our abilities, to take the things that we're passionate about and the things that we have learned from our past, we put it all together to get clarity on what we are put on this earth to fulfill. And the problem is, is that if God has given us talents and abilities and they are being unused and unfulfilled, I'm telling you, we will live each and every day unfulfilled because we have talents that have, that have become dormant in our lives. Some of you right now are listening to my voice. You're here today and you're sitting on your talents. And I'm talking about making a spiritual difference with your life. Some of you have incredible gifts and talents that God wants to use to advance his purposes, to help build his church. And some of us have incredible abilities that God could use to, to take his church and to take God's vision and to take his purposes. God could use you to take it further, faster, to make an even greater impact. But we can't do that if we're sitting on our talents, if we are bearing the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. 
That's the reason why we would invite you to go to Growth Track. Why? Because it's a discovery process that maybe for some of you, you say, well, that's what's been missing in my life. So whatever you're passionate about, that's what you need to put into, into, into operation to where you are now living that out so that your gifts are operative in every area of your life. It will bring great joy and fulfillment to you. Your career is what you get paid for, but your calling is what you are made for. Number three is this. It's an unbalanced schedule. Now, it'll probably get real quiet in here because we are all guilty of this. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. But you know what busy stands for? Being under Satan's yoke. And when we find ourselves busy and overwhelmed by our crowded schedules, here's the problem with a crowded schedule. It leads to empty lives. You can have a full schedule and yet have an empty life. And the reason why is because you're not living a balanced life. Ma Matthew 6, Jesus said it this way. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. In the NIV it says, and he will... And, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, the problem is, is that we pursue all the other things. We get preoccupied and distracted by chasing after all the other things. And we get tied up with all the other things. And what happens is our passion for God, our pursuit of God, our priority of spending time with God suddenly gets put on the back burner. He gets the leftovers because everything else has taken precedence and priority. And as a result, we're out of balance. And so we've got to understand that one of the things that will rob us faster than anything when it comes to our passion for God is the busyness of life, the unbalanced life. Number four is unconfessed sin. In Psalm 38, verse 4, the psalmist said, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. Is there unconfessed sin? In your life, are there some things that you're still carrying around that maybe has brought guilt, shame? Maybe you just feel, in many respects, impure, and yet you don't know what to do about it? Well, the Bible simply calls it sin. Sin is falling short. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is doing what we should and could be doing, but for whatever reason, we're not doing it. And you know what God wants? He just wants us to acknowledge that, and He wants us to come humbly before Him and simply say, God, forgive me. That's why I love 1 John 5, excuse me, 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but man, that ought to bring great encouragement to your heart. Amen? To know that when we drop the ball, when we mess up, when we fall short, God is not in heaven, listen, looking down at you with a, you know, with a, with, with a finger that's pointed to condemn and to, to cast judgment. No, 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 no. He's hoping, if anything, you just acknowledge the fact that you have drifted. And you have gone away from his good and pleasing and perfect will. And he just wants you to come back. 
That's all. He just wants you to come home. He just wants you to get back into a right relationship with him. And how we reestablish that and restore that is simply by confessing our sin. So unconfessed sin can rob us of the passion that perhaps we once had. Number five is this, unresolved conflict. In Job 18, verse 4, it says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. I think sometimes what happens is we fail to understand that when we get at odds with other people, we get sideways in our relationships, I'm telling you, there is nothing that will rob you from your passion and your joy quicker than when you are sideways with people. Listen, you're going to get sideways with God when you get sideways with people every single time. And the thing that often we do is we harbor unforgiveness. We harbor anger and resentment in our hearts. And we're only hurting ourselves when we choose to do that. I heard someone once say that bitterness happens when the expiration date on forgiveness has passed. Sam Chan, leadership expert, I thought made a great statement one time on the subject of conflict. He said, conflict is not about what happened, but about what was expected. And I find that to be true. In marriage relationships and family relationships, we have certain expectations of one another. And when those, un, when, those, when those expectations go unmet or unfulfilled, guess what? There's problems. There's conflict. And if we're not careful, if we don't work it out, those things will suddenly begin to grow deeper and deeper in our hearts in areas of resentment and hurt. And as a result, it only hurts ourselves because it quenches the fire and the passion in our hearts, in our relationship with God. Number six is an unsupported life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 10 says it this way, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You know, often I get the phone call when things hit the fan in a marriage in a family I get the phone call when the hubcaps are flying off the wheels you know down the highway and I mean it's just like you're like why why are you just now calling me because now they're at a point of desperation and I wish that it was easy as just praying a quick 911 prayer or waving a magic wand and making suddenly all of their problems go away. But in reality, here's what happens. A lot of people are calling me because they have no one else to call. They have nowhere else to go. Their marriage is on life support. And they're going through their marriage problems alone. They're going through other relational challenges, maybe with their children or maybe financial setbacks. And all of a sudden they feel alone and overwhelmed and isolated. And they feel as though no one understands or can maybe relate to what it is they're going through. When reality is, is that is exactly what Satan wants them to believe and to feel that no one knows no one cares, and no one has the time, or no one can relate. I'm here to tell you, that is a dangerous place to be. 
And here's what happens. The problem is, is that so often we're tempted to withdraw and isolate and quarantine ourselves when we're hemorrhaging and we're bleeding and we're on life support over here and we're just desperate because we're drowning and we just wish we had somebody that would throw us the lifeline. Well, guess what? God all along is saying there's a greater plan. It's called the local church. There's a spiritual family. You don't have to go through life alone. It's better together. That's the reason why we can find life support and help and support and encouragement from a body of believers that we don't have to do it alone. We can have, we can have a band of brothers and sisters that can help us get through the difficulties of life. So here's what I challenge you to do. My challenge to you is this. If you're not in a group, get in a group. This fall, when we launch our life groups, man, one of the greatest single things you could do is to connect in a small group. Find a group, connect with people, and watch what God will do in and through your life. So these are seven areas that we're talking about. Seven checklists. And here's the last one. You ready for this? It's an undernourished spirit. Undernourished spirit. In Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots go down into Him. And let your lives be built on Him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. So let me ask you a question. Do you have an undernourished spirit? In other words, spiritually, have you allowed your life to grow and to develop and mature? Are you at a place where you're able to feed yourself? Are you allowing the Word of God to nourish you and to strengthen you? Have you committed your mind and your heart to the things of God? Are you allowing your roots to grow down deep? Are you building your life on a firm, solid, unshakable foundation of truth? Because if not, we're going to be missing the very thing that God wants to use to help us flourish and to remain passionate in our lives. So how do you get your fire back? How do you get the energy that maybe that you lost? How do you restore the brokenness? it. Listen. Amen. Let me share something with you. Look at me, listen to me. Jesus was talking to his disciples. One of the things he wanted them to emphasize is that there was a church known as the church at emphasis. They've been doing all these wonderful things. He was complimenting them. He was talking about how committed they were and how faithful they were to all these wonderful things. But in the midst of complimenting them, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, here's what he said. He said, yes, I, but yet I hold all of this against you because you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. So what did he say? He said, do three things. He said, number one, you need to, you need to remember so you need to go back to that place when you first fell in love with Jesus, when you first met Jesus. For me, it was on April 22nd, 1984, at the First Twin Oaks Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Because that's when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
I'll never forget when I was in a, a junior and in, going into my junior year in college, when I was in Anderson, South Carolina, at an eight days in motel. They don't even make them anymore. I was on orange shag carpet, laying prostrate on this gnarly orange shag carpet when I literally gave my life to full-time ministry. I said, God, I'm all yours. And 30 years later, I've never looked back. But I'll be perfectly honest with you, there have been times in my life, even in 30 years of ministry, where I found myself, listen, getting so busy doing the work for the Lord that I have found myself falling out of love with the Lord. And there are some of us, listen, there are some of us who are not where we could be, we're not where we should be, and we know in our hearts that we've drifted, we've lost our fire, we've lost our passion, we've lost the way it used to be. It's just like a couple who's drifted in their marriage. What do they do? they got to go back and they got to remember what, what, what it was that first attracted them to one another, what it was that first drew them together. they got to go back and recapture that. And once they remember, they got to remember the height from which they have fallen. they got to realize, that, you know what, we're not where we could be. We're not where we should be. And we got to get it back. You know where it begins? He said, you got to remember, but you also got to repent. In other words, you got to get your heart right. you got to confess. Man, we can't be, listen, we can't be wrong with people in our lives and be right with God. When you're wrong with people, you're wrong with God. And so we got to, whatever we got to do, if we got to make wrongs right with people, listen, ask God to forgive us of things that we've done, things of our past. Listen, some of us, the greatest single thing we could do is just forgive ourselves. But we got to remember, we got to repent. And here's what repentance is. It's a visual of walking in a certain direction, and this direction is taking us further away from God. And then we realize that in the context of moving away from God, we're making poor decisions. We're getting further and further away from God to where we realize something's not right. And what do we do? We stop. We have a change of mind in the way that we're walking and the way that we're living. And we do a 180, and we make an about-face, and we move back toward God. We start once again revisiting God's good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives. We start living God's way rather than our way. Rather than living a self-directed life, now we're living a Christ-directed life. That's a picture of repentance. And then what do we do? We repeat. We remember, we repent, and then we repeat. What did he say? Jesus said, hey, do the things you did at first. So if you're having marriage difficulties, get your hearts right and then go out on a date. Man, start having the conversations you used to have when you were dating one another. Start dreaming again. Quit focusing on who's doing what and start asking you the question, who do we want to become? And watch what God will do. And all of a sudden, he'll begin to restore the joy. He'll begin to restore the passion. He'll begin to restore the love. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. David said, restore to me, O God, the joy of my salvation. Ask God to give it back. Ask God to light your fire again. Ask God to restore the joy and the passion that you used to have. Ask God to give it back. Say, God, I want my life. I want my heart. I want my marriage. I want my family. I want my career. I want my time. I want my focus. I want my energy. 
I want my life to be on fire for God because I'm here to tell you when you're on fire for God, people will come and watch you burn because they know your life matters and you're living for something that's bigger than yourself and you're living with a purpose because your purpose is what's guiding you but your passion is what is driving you because your passion is white hot, boiling hot for God. Amen? That's why it's one of our vibes. Love for God is our what? Say it out loud. Passion. Let's be known for being a group of people that love God and are filled and driven by passion. Let's bow our heads together in prayer.